This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. So, years ago, and I've been at Villanova two times, count them. Very good. Okay, I really like you. You're a quantitative crowd. I like that. So I was here from 1989 to 1996. I was department chair of marketing. I left to be a dean on the West Coast and then in, in Florida, and then I came back in uh, 2006. And so when I was here the first time, we had a faculty member who was trying to become a faculty member here. And I listened to his presentation in front of our faculty, and I thought, oh my God, this is terrible. I mean, you know, it's one of those times where you're going, Oh my, do I have to set to the remainder of it? I'll never get this hour of my life back, right? It's one of those kind of deals. You probably sat through those classes before. This is not one of them. At any rate, this person, I tried to throw him a, a softball, let him hit it out of the park. I said, so are you a good teacher? And he said, I am such a great teacher that at the end of every class, my students stand up and give me an ovation. Pretty, pretty braggadocious for a guy that I thought did a pretty lousy job presenting. So I said to him, you know, now he stepped over the line. I said, is that because you're such a great teacher or because they're so thrilled that it's over? So I don't want that to happen to you here today. So what I'm going to talk to you about is the business enterprise. Now, I was just talking to Ralph about a center we're starting, Center for the Study of Business Ethics. Whenever I tell anybody that, you know, when you're out talking to people and they say, what are you doing? I'm a professor in the business school. And what do you teach? I said, I teach a lot of courses that deal with the ethical side of business. Even my dentist, as he was drilling my face, he said, oh, business ethics, isn't that an oxymoron? And I said, I said pain-free dentist is an oxymoron. <laughs> I said, but business ethics doesn't have to be. And you know what bothers me the most? They must assume that we put you in here. What's your major? Uh, marketing. Marketing. All right, girl. Come on. Let's get up and twerk. Okay. Let's, let's, come on, girl. So she, she, she twerks. She twerks. I twerk. We all twerk. At any rate, okay, they assume she shows up here as a freshman. Where are you, where are you from? Florida. Where in Florida? Boca Raton. Now, girl, you got the University of Miami was just calling your name, but you came on up. Well, you know how you can tell she's a real Floridian? How can you tell she's a real Floridian? Somebody shouted out, she's not tan. People from Florida don't tan. They go, oh my God, the sun's blazing again. You know, it's like every day. No, it's the tourists are tan. That's how you can tell. But somehow she comes into this university, and what do we do with her? We put her in the black box, we churn her around, and we throw her out as a marketing person, and now she's unethical? Is that how it works? I mean, what happens? How many of you are not business majors sitting here today? All right, I'll guarantee you, by the time you're a senior, when you talk to your business major friends, and they say, I'm going to work for XYZ Corporation at $65,000 a year with a $10,000 bonus, and you're not, you're doing something else, you're going to say to them, yeah, but I didn't sell my soul to the devil. You know? I've been able to maintain my dignity by studying history, where they're facts. And we learn from it. But not in business, there are no ethics. 
Is that true? How many of your parents work in business? How many of you are going to hell? I'm just asking. Okay, a couple up here in the corner, they're going to hell. I'm all right with that. I don't know your mom and dad, but hey, you know, if they're that bad that you know it, it's trouble. No, they're not going to hell. So here we have people in business who have lots of other things associated with them. They're a mother or a father. They're a son or a daughter. They're a husband or a wife. They're a little league coach. They're a youth minister at their church. They are all kinds of things that aren't just a business person. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the light. You ready for the light? It's like two. Just say it. Yes. Okay. Ready to go into the light? Okay. Ready to come out of the darkness? Can I get an amen? amen? There you go. All right. That's not so hard, is it? All right. We got to give you more candy. Your blood sugar's running low. All right. So here, I'm going to talk about marketing. It's just one side of business, but it's a centerpiece. I know some of you are going to major in accounting. Some of you are going to major in finance. You're going to work for her someday. Because we're the center of the universe. Why are we the center of the universe? Because you can't run a company and be successful if she don't bring in the customer. Can't have accounting without her. Can't have finance without her. Can't have HR without her. No customer, you die. Businesses don't make it by going, I'm making a great product, wonderful. And people here like to make it, great. Nobody wants to buy it, that's okay. We're still gonna run this company. Revenue in, revenue out. Villanova is successful business because students want to come here. Now I can tell you right now, and I'm going to do it right now, and my mentee already knows the answer to this question, he's not allowed to answer it. What's the difference, the primary difference between a student at Georgetown and a student at Villanova? It's a very simple distinction. If you've ever watched a basketball game, you know it by what they show you when they show the crowd. What's the difference? Huh? Yes. Okay, it's close. We are awesome, but what is it? Within our awesome, we are good looking, they're not. <laughs> it's true. How many of you visited Georgetown? My son did. We went with them. And guess what we found? They're very unattractive. <laughs> they really are. They're unattractive. And do we have the best looking people? We do. We are good looking. We're a good-looking campus. We don't have to try hard. It comes to us naturally, okay? So I'm going to tell you things that they don't learn in places like Georgetown because they're way too busy being conscious of how they look. Now, marketing's a centerpiece. Marketing's built on this idea that there's dyadic exchange. Okay, dyadic exchange, you're saying to yourself, Huh, it's a term I'd like to learn more about. Okay, I'm going to give you some more. Dyadic means, di means two. We're going back to two. On one side, and then there's the other side. Now, on one side is those that want to produce something. On the other side are those that want to consume something. So why do you buy? I've, I'm in the, how many of you have eaten in the exchange? Dyadic exchange, should we start calling it the dyadic exchange? 
And when you go in there and you belly up to the bar and you see what the ladies have for lunch today, you go, man, I'm not satisfied. I'm super satisfied with this. Or you go in and you see what the, what the mega mothers, you know the mega mothers they've got in there? You seen the mega muffins? Hey, man, if you haven't had a mega muffin in a while, you got to get yourself one. A mega muffin, okay? You see all the stuff you have in there? When you buy it, do you walk out and go, I feel pretty? Do you, are you up in arms with a, with a loving feeling? Are you? No, but you bought it. Now, why did you give up your money for the mega mother? Why? Why did you? Why did you? No one knows why? It was delicious. It was good. It was a, because the money was worth less to you than the food, right? You ever been really, really thirsty? I'm talking, you know, you've been here. It's been a week. You went out and you partied. You drank three times as much as your body normally allows. You got up the next morning and you feel like some group of people are, have, have, have lodged themselves in your throat and taken everything out of it that's possible. And now somebody says, your roommate says, I got a bottle of nice cold water for you. It's $50. And you go, it's worth it. Okay? So you exchange because you believe what you get is worth more than you give up, right? Your parents say to you when they sent you to Villanova, did they say, you know what? I was thinking Monmouth for you. You just, you, what's Monmouth's, what's Monmouth's, um, you know, uh, their mascot? The Hawks, the mighty Hawks of Monmouth, okay? Your parents could have sent you there and paid what? $9,000? $10,000? $12,000? Nope, $60,000 was their mark. Do your parents say to you, you know what? You're kind of a $12,000 child to me. <laughs> Your older brother, he's like a $20,000 child to me. Now your sister, your sister, so I'll say sister, sister. My sister, sister here, she's, she's $60,000 worth. So 60, did I say you were 30? And you're 12, okay? It moves up, it moves up the line. Well, you're 60,000. I'm giving you all the love I got. That's $60,000 worth of love. All right, so here. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Are your parents saying to themselves, I'm doing this because why? Because they love you. What about love that we know makes it special? Come on. It's easy. Does your parents love you 12,000, yours, what were you, 20,000, yours, 60,000? No, they love you without bound. So to them, they want to send you to the university that they feel will give you the most opportunity. And you can go from Villanova to anywhere. What makes this school great is that the faculty care deeply about you, that we're community-oriented, and you get a world-class education. You can be in Harvard's MBA program coming out of a place like this. That's the difference. Okay? That's the difference here. So they are paying this money. Now, if you said you didn't like it, you weren't getting what you were supposed to get, they may change their minds. 
But that's what dyadic exchange is about. It's simple-minded. It's, it's easy. Are you getting more than you give up? Now, we don't know. There could be a whole gaggle of priests over there in the building behind us just saying, man, I'm dancing. They got $100 bills falling out of their pocket. They got, yeah, man, we, we're making money here. This building, no, it's a money machine. We're just producing it. Are you kidding? Another guy put in his, put in his tuition money today. Cha-ching, they're over there, you know. They're loving life. We don't know, but we do know that they must feel that they're getting a bargain. They're getting something in exchange, right? Because you came here. That's a dyadic exchange. It's simple. Okay. Do you remember when all those universities contacted you when you were uh, started probably as a sophomore, right? Given your zip code in the school you went to, started sending you all their materials. They all showed the same thing, right? Hispanic person next to an Asian person next to a white person next to an African American person with a young, good-looking professor going like this at the board, right? <laughs> And you're all out there having a good time. And then there's always the guitar on the mall. Don't you like that? And do you notice that it never rains and the sun is always out and flowers are in bloom in the picture of the place, no matter where it is? Bowdoin, doesn't matter. Maine, forget about it. Would you see a flower up there during the school year? No. Not possible in Maine. They don't have flowers up. They come out for a week, they go, let me live, and then they die. Okay. <laughs> Same thing they do in Florida, right, Florida person? Same thing they do in Florida. Is it hot? No. You know, they show you that one week in Boca Raton where it's 70 and not humid, right? So we all do that, trying to create that exchange. That's what it's about, you and them. Problem is, the world doesn't operate like that. If it was that simple, we really wouldn't care, okay? We wouldn't care. Everybody could do whatever they want, but the truth is it's not. So let's broaden the approach. We sell all kinds of things. When Barack Obama ran for president, he tried to create a brand image. You know? When the Republicans put up somebody, they try to create a brand image. Notice that in Congress, how many times have they tried to vote down Obamacare? 43 times they brought it to a vote. Now you ask yourselves, are they dumb enough to believe that the 44th time will work? No. Why are they doing that? Because next year, when that person runs against the Democrat, they're going to go, they voted for Obamacare 43 times. See the difference? Okay. So we sell people. It's a brand. Villanova's a brand. The V? Villanova brand? Okay. See, here it is right there. Do you see it? We're a brand. We actually sell it downtown to our MBA students as Brand V. It always reminds me of, of that show with the vampires where they, where they have that blood. What's, a, what's the one with the? True Blood. What's the, what's the blood? Don't they have a name for it? I don't know, but, but they've got, it's like the Brand V. We're vampires, okay? Brand V. So. What can you say about Villanova? What would you say about Georgetown? I'm going to name a school. Anybody go to Cornell to look at Cornell? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you, if I asked you about Cornell as a brand, could you tell me about it? Probably. How many of you have used IBM? You got an image of it. They're probably brands you've never seen or never had. Porsche? Anybody have a family that owns a Porsche? 
Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, my dad had one after we were all gone. We could have ridden them around and actually picked up girls, but it doesn't matter. We had station wagon. We'd go, ride with me anyway? I mean, it didn't work out as we had hoped. Let me ask you, those of you that have never ridden a Porsche, do you have an impression of one, an image of one? So there are all these products, all these places, all these people who created brand images and they have impacted people who have no interest in them, have no relationship with them over time. So let's move to stakeholder theory. So now all of a sudden, we're beginning to ask ourselves, it's not just enough, I know that I've gone down to Florida and I've attracted up the Florida people because they wanted to get out of Dodge, okay, come up and see snow for the first time in their lives, okay. Comes up here and says, I can't wait for the cold weather. And you're like, you grew up in Jersey and you say, yeah, right, I'll go to Florida and hang out with your mother. At any rate, okay, she's up here, she's up here. now. What happens around Villanova? Tell me about Villanova for a minute. Let's talk about the stakeholders. We have the students, <coughs> we have the employees, we have the priests dancing in their money, right? Twerking in their money, <laughs> okay? Now, you, you see Father Peter, never ask him to do that, though, okay? And if you say anybody said that, remember, Ralph is my name, okay? <laughs> my name is Ralph. Okay, so. Give me another constituency that doesn't come here, that doesn't live here, that doesn't work here, and has an attitude about Villanova. Girlfriend? Huh? Parents, parents do. Parents care a lot. Do, do you think your parents came here for the same reason that you came here? When I, my sons talk to me about, I scut, one, one of my children went to Tulane University in Nolens. Okay, he learned to party, I'm telling you. My pride runneth over. You know, with the amount of, amount of time he spent partying. And his fraternity, uh, it was one of the greatest decisions he ever made in his life. Join that fraternity because then you'll really learn to become a better student, okay, as a result of the consequence of that. When your parents sent you here, what are their things? What things do they care about? Is it secure? Is this a safe place? Are you going to get a quality education? Will you get a job when you're done? And you're thinking, what do the boys look like? Am, am I the cutest girl that's available here today? You know, what do the boys look like? You know, um, are the girls in my sorority going to be bitches? They're going to be nice. What are, what are the boys? And the answer to that is both. Um, just to make it easy for you. Yeah. What do the boys look like? You know, I mean, we could go on and on. You know. Well, we already know Villanova. Now that you've been here for a couple of weeks, girls, we know two things. One is women primp. Guys get up and they say. This shirt doesn't smell bad, and they go to class, right? You know, just the, just the luck of the draw at this place. There are probably 10 universities like it around here. Your parents have different, but I'm thinking of somebody wholly different. I'm thinking of that person in the mansion. You've been around back and seen the mansions around Villanova? Who lives in these places? Not the faculty, certainly not the staff don't live there. They're known as rich people that live in these mansions around the corner, and what do they care about Villanova? What's their concern? Come on, you can help me out. You read the papers. Anybody know? Yes, sir. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna build a 250 million. I don't even I can't even fathom that amount of money. Okay, some giant. I don't even know directions either. But we're gonna build a giant cons facility on the other side where you park now. 
so that you literally can go from, you, you all are on south, right? So you, you, see, you know that long hill, the hill up south in the morning? Wait, wait till December comes. And it's all full of snow. And you're trudging up and you say, this, I'm going to have to tell my children about this someday. I climbed South Hill, you know, and I got to the light. And then I had to wait for the cuckoo bird, you know, before I could cross over and I crossed over. Well, what they're saying is, we don't put your giant facility here. And you go, wait a second, we're a university. We weren't been here for over 150 years. How long have you lived here? They go, well, I moved into a university community, but it was contained. You want to be Division I football? Okay, you're going to have to build an underground stadium in order to do it, or we'll put you downtown. Underground, that's that, where we play basketball, triple the size of that tomorrow, we'll fill it. You all have to do a lottery to get tickets, right? We'd love you all to come to every one of the games. Villanova would love that. No, it would be too tall. What are you going to block? You don't have a view of the water. I mean, what are we blocking here? Okay? Seriously, honestly, you go, yeah, we're blocking what? Your view? No, it would be horrible if you did that. Father Peter came up with a great design, or he and his people, a great design for the other side, but these people don't like it. Huh. Now, let's stop and think for a minute. They're not buyers. They're not sellers. They're not employees. They're not stockholders. They're nobody to you, yet... They are stopping you from doing what you want to do. Interesting. Does business take them into account? Well, Father Peter and his group have had to appease them to come up with an alternative design now. Lower. I would have said, we're going to go 30 stories up. Straight up. You know? We're actually going to compete against the Sears Tower. Okay? Sears Tower. We're going to go as high as God will allow. You know, and then I say, all right, we'll settle for five, you know, stories. I don't know, they, maybe they go in doing that, knowing they're going to get turned down, and they keep modifying it. Do they modifying it because that's what is in your best interest? No. They're modifying it because they get this other stakeholder. So here is business trying to figure out how it can operate and take into account people who are not even customers. And this is going to happen in your lifetime as well. Now, I want to do the systems thinking for a minute. Have you ever thought systematically? Do you know what a system is? How many took biology? Okay, you all did. How many listened? Yeah, that's what I thought too. Oh, three or four. Three or four in the front are going, well, you know, a couple of days. Yeah, this, this guy here is really proud of it. AP biology guy? I love this guy, okay? Yeah, girls, meet him. He's going to make a lot of money, yeah. Pick the smart ones. I'm telling you right now. I'm going to help you out. Pick the smart ones. Okay, anyway. A system means that everything I do can impact everything else anyone else does. So I'll give it to you this way. You come to your dorm. We put all of you together. You touch all the handles on all the doors and everything else. And she gets sick. Well, she doesn't usually because she doesn't sit around people. She's actually, she has, she has an aura which says, I am ill, stay away from me. It's like in Master, she goes. Okay. She's not feeling well, and everybody around her, now these people back here, they're leaning further back. These guys are going forward. Okay, she gets sick. What dorm are you in? Okay, so what happens to her roommate? 
she gets sick. What, and, her, and her roommate, she makes out with anybody. So what happens is, <laughs> so these, these five guys get it here, you know. You live with him, he, he, at least he got to make out with somebody. All you got to do is watch this guy get naked at night and you catch it, okay? So now you got it and then you make out with someone else and then, of course, she makes out with these five guys. Anyway, whatever, you know how it is, okay? And the reason I say one guy, one girl to five guys, because guys say, and the girls go, not me, I'm chased. So, so there must be one girl that sits out there somewhere and 500 guys are hanging out with her. But at any rate, that's a system. You live in a system where this virus, these infections are spreading. Same thing happens in business. We decide to do something and it's like a drop of water in a pond and things billow out. So Villanova decides, makes a decision that our freshman class shouldn't be 1,600 students, it should be 2,000 students. Let's just say we decided to go up by 400 and we need to build two new dorms to house them. And by the way, our seniors, and if, when you become a senior you'll figure this out, we spread you all over our community. We mostly do that so that the local police can give tickets out and have something to do in the evening, okay? <laughs> Really, now we have the ex-cops on campus where they go, have you been drinking? You go, no, no. How come you're walking funny? And what, you, what you should say, when they say, you seem like you're walking funny and you go, well, I have this disease. <laughs> and so if, you're, if you've been drinking and you feel like you're walking funny, walk really, really funny. You know, and then just blurt things out every once in a while. People will leave you alone. They will. They, the cops will go by and you know just hand them a note that says, um, "I limp," or so I don't know. So hand them a note. They'll they'll leave you alone. They're not they're not that smart. Okay. So here you live in a system. You live in a system that impacts other things. Now let me let me give you an idea of a system where a business thinks about it. I can't go over it anymore because it's a zone of ill health. Okay, but I'll come this far. I'm, I'm loving y'all over here. Okay, my, my big friend up here. I love him too. Okay, I love you all here. Okay, but I can't go any further. It's, it's the zone. All right. So here's Pepsi Cola. Anybody ever drink a Pepsi? How many like Pepsi more than Coke? How many like Coke more than Pepsi? Okay, how many are addicted to meth? <laughs> I got two guys up here, and they just they're going for it. You know. Okay, marry the smart one, but party with this guy, okay? <laughs> so you got four years, you got, well, three and a half years. Last semester you hang out with this guy. Okay, now, what did PepsiCo's CEO say? What did she say about Pepsi? She wants to move it from what they are now to, uh, what would be the furthest thing you'd think that PepsiCo, remember they've got all kinds of chips and, soft drinks and everything else. They move into a, I'm sorry? A, very good, I like that. A health and wellness company. Can you imagine the CEO of PepsiCo saying, we want to become a health and wellness company. You are bringing high fructose corn syrup to the world and salt. Now, She's saying we need to do that because 
What's our bioeconomic footprint in the world? Now, Coca-Cola was asked the same question, so how do you respond? They go, as part of a healthy diet, Coca-Cola, drank in moderation, you know, um, should have no ill effects, you know? And then you put like a piece of metal in your Coca-Cola and you watch, did you do that in Science Project? Drop a piece of corrosive metal in there that could corrode, you know, not stainless steel, something you see what happens, it bubbles and then, you know, and you go, I'm gonna put that in my stomach. Oh, that sounds good, okay? They don't care. Coca-Cola said, we're giving them what they want. Every once in a while, do you notice McDonald's tries to put something healthy on their menu? But it always has to be called a mick, you know? A mick something. It's a mixed salad shaker, you know? A mick salad, okay? Mick sardines, mick chicken. Doing it all the time. Wendy's, they created the Baconator. A Baconator. We're gonna add another layer of cheese and two more pieces of bacon because you can't get enough animal fat. You just can't. And when you, have you ever eaten a Baconator? Eat one of those bad boys, it takes you two, three days, you know, it's like someone stuck a cork. You're in bad shape, okay? You're in bad shape with a Baconator. All right, so what's the difference between these, these two companies? One is trying to move towards health and wellness, one is holding their ground. What happens to all these firms that hold their ground? That refuse to change. Over time, man, you're gonna lose. Do you know that they've taken soft drink machines out of high schools? How many of you had soft drink machines in your high school? Okay, a few of you left. When I was in high school, they almost begged you. They almost said, here, here's a quarter. Go get yourself a soft drink. There wasn't anything else to drink. Guess what? They're taking them out of schools, and the average weight of a student, just by removing these machines, goes down by 10 pounds. They literally weigh the school, and then weigh it again, and it drops by an average of 10 pounds by getting rid of these damn machines. Unbelievable, right? So now school districts are saying, you don't have to fix your product, we're fixing you. We're getting rid of it. Hell, in New York, the mayor tried to get rid of big gulps. You can, if you tear it from my cold, dead hands, <laughs> my big gulp, okay? How many people need a soft drink this big? Seriously, honestly, when you drink that, what do you do for the rest of the day? I'm going to the bathroom, I'm back. Sorry, I gotta go to the bathroom, I'm back. I mean, if you have, if, can you have two big gulps? You know, seriously, honestly, can, you ever know anyone could chug one? Funnel big gulp? Anybody ever try to funnel a big gulp? I'm telling you, uh, it goes down smooth. All right, <laughs> so they're trying to change that. Fast food restaurants, they're gonna make the major chains put up what you're putting in your body. The Baconator is two times the calories some of you in here should be ingesting in a day. Okay? More fat than you probably ought to eat in a week. And a ton of sodium. So you're going to have to look at that because they didn't fix their product. So we live in a world where it's changing. If you don't think systematically, you're going to be in trouble. All right. So I want to touch, so why? Why does this exist? 
Why does this exist in business today? Why? Why a why? I'm going to tell you why. One is because of limited market, you, you can read, right? <laughs> limited marketplace consideration. When I think of, when Villanova thinks of you, do they say consumer or student? If I were to ask you, what are you? And you'd say, I'm a student at Villanova. And I go, okay, anything else? No, that's all I am. I'm a student at Villanova. And I could take what all of that means. You'd say, I'm a professor at Villanova. That sounds good. Is that who I am? Now, most of you might think, well, I'm a student at Villanova right now. But in a few minutes, I'm going to be a good friend. And then a few minutes later, I'm going to be a love interest. And I'm sorry, should I? I'm, I'm open to whatever you're open to, so I'm going to give you. I, I don't judge. I don't judge, OK? Um, and maybe the three of you, I don't know. I, I, I'm completely open to whatever it is. So you're all these different things at different times. Then you get on the phone and you go, you go, you go, Daddy? I watch a lot, the female students. Guys, you, talk, you call your mom. Daddy? Yeah, it's, it's going okay. Yeah, yeah, that would, yeah, another $100 would really cheer me up, you know? <laughs> yeah, I could go out with my friends this weekend. We're just going to go out and, and have some sushi. And you're thinking, let me see, if I only eat a bag of chips, that leaves me $99 for drinking. So that's going to work out really well this weekend. So, so, <clears throat> So here you are, you're all these things. I like that, that's good. You're all these things. Now, when marketers, when businesses think of you, they think of you as a consumer. The, unfortunately, the model is an extraction model. So typical business organization says to themselves, we're profit motivated, and if I'm profit motivated, I want to extract out of you what I can and give as little as return, right? So what Villanova ought to do is they ought to hire the very best professors and we ought to have tents everywhere. You know, no heating, we'll give you all, you know, really nice insulated um, rolls that you guys can slip into at night. You know, why bother to do all this other stuff? Because it doesn't matter. This way you can tell your kids when you grow up how awful it was to be a student, how difficult, what you put up with. The food, a place called the spit. We ate in a place called the spit. You know, <laughs> it's the spit. You know, why did they call it the spit? And he goes, because when you come out after you've eaten, you got to spit. You know, I don't know what they call it, the spit. In the pit. That doesn't sound good. No one calls it Francois. And you go, where are you going to eat tonight? I'm going to Francois. You know, les le spit. Okay? Uh, so you're just a consumer. The extraction mama, take everything I can take out of you and give you as little in return as possible, right? That's the model. And it's easy to do when you don't consider people because all they are is something to take away from. All right, let's talk about commoditization for a minute. That's exchange, okay? Commoditization. Have you ever felt like a commodity? Yes, you did. Two years ago, you were a commodity. They said, what is your SAT, SAT, SAT score? Not this guy, but everybody else. SAT score. You know, and you said, oh, well, I only got a, uh, but then again, I'm only in third grade. You started taking them in third grade, right? I can get better. You know, how many took them three times or more? Okay. 
How many took him once and said, what the hell? You know, my brother, I love you, okay? He took him once. When, I, when your mother and father and, and I were going to college, we took him once. There was no prep. What your parents told you was, you probably shouldn't go out drinking the night before. And you should probably go to sleep early. And we showed up, we took him, and we said, okay, well, that, that's an okay score. And then we went to the universities we went to. Now you're groomed in a whole different way. Are you a commodity? It reminds me of the football combine. How many times can you bench 200? How fast can you run the 40? They ask you, what's your GPA and what's your SAT score? And you always want to throw in that last third piece that nobody gives a damn about because it makes your score seem so much higher. I got 2,100. And they go, well, we're only concerned with two. And they go, but still, I got 2,100. I want to include that because it was my highest of my three. Okay? We care about those two. You're a commodity, right? And if your SAT was in a certain level, you started getting stuff from certain schools. Did you notice that? Yeah. You know, do you say, oh, I'm hearing from Monmouth, and, um, you know, or, or I'm hearing from Columbia, or I'm hearing from Villanova and Georgetown, or you get it, you fall into a particular rank. And then they start sending you stuff as a result of that. Okay? A commodity. Now, what happens when you're commoditized, that you become a commodity to somebody? What happens when that happens? What do you lose when you become a commodity? So here, this is what happens in classes when you've been there too long. I love that student. So what I do is I go over to them where they're doing it, and I see them in the corner of my eye, don't know. And I go and I sit and I go, okay. I try to mirror them when I go. <laughs> and we sit there and we, near, we nearly fall asleep together. I go, now, we, we, we need a nap, brother. That's what I always tell them. We need a nap. When you become a commodity, you lose your humanity. You lose your personhood. This is the problem. I start trying to sell you a product and I don't think about your personhood. I think about the momentary exchange. I think about extraction. So I say, I'm going to give you a Pepsi-Cola, and does that enrich your life? Are you better off from having consumed that? You can say in the moment, well, I'm thirsty, and I haven't taken in many calories, and it tastes good to me. Momentarily, it sounds good. But taking in that high fructose corn syrup, is that good for you? You know that if you drop anything that could be corroded into it, 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 within a few moments, it turns into something else. And you go, is that good for my body? Okay. What if you started thinking holistically about people? How would that be different? So I'm going to move on to this third area. What are the systematic challenges? I sat with a woman from China today, um, and, I'm, and you know we had a conversation. But you know what? I feel like having more conversation two hours later. I don't know why that is. Chinese food, hungry two hours. You know, if you can't get those ones, we're in trouble. You know, these are the easy. These are the softballs out there. I'm sitting here and talking to her about business ethics in her country, and she says, boy, it's a challenge. And she goes, are you in the United States, aren't you challenged by ethics? And I said, well, why would we be? And we are because you are being judged in business organizations by your success. Remember when you took that um, difficult course, whether it was physics or mathematics or everyone but him but biology, you took those difficult courses, and guess what? You said to your teacher, 
well, if I do all my homework, I'll get at least a B, right? God, God love high school. I did my homework, I got at least a B. So I, always, I couldn't understand, you know, why kids didn't do their homework. Man, I'm not doing my homework. That'd give me a B. You know, I'd rather have a gentleman C or a D. I'd just do your damn homework and get a, get a B. But in the real world, they don't do that. They don't go, you care, don't you? You tried. You did your homework. All right, we're going to give you a raise. They don't. In business organizations, they care about the bottom line. Nobody pays for input. Everybody pays for output. If you're a coach of a football team, nobody says, oh my god, you only lost by one point. We really, really are excited about that. Nobody gives a shit. Does anybody know who the runner-up to the World Series is? Anybody know who the second place is? Nobody cares, okay? It's the American way. Now, the problem with that is it drives you to act in ways that are egoistic, that are self-centered and egoistic. But in reality, you're a whole person, and in reality, you care about other people. But the paradigm that would place you in says don't. Extract, treat like a commodity, and then move on. And so what happens is a lot of people in business will say, if they buy into this model, they will say, I'm going to extract as much as I can, leave all the collateral damage around that, and then I'm going to go to another job. It's very typical in the United States to buy firms, break them up into little pieces, sell off the pieces, make money on that totality, and then people get kicked out of their jobs, communities change, you know, sometimes communities fail and go bankrupt as a result. But still, we view that as a reasonable model because the individual is doing what they're supposed to be doing. So what I'm saying here is the challenge is, the challenge is not what we think it is. It's not about success or failure. Do you think that if Pepsi cared more about their consumers than Coke, they'd be worse off? They thought the totality of their products? No. Would they lose a billion dollars as a result and only be a $15 billion firm? I don't even know what they are, but a big firm? You know? There are lots of people in business today who are deciding, instead of getting bigger, instead of always trying to increase sales, they try to go deeper. There's a restaurant in, in our area called White Dog. There's one out here in Wayne now. Take your parents to it. Um, let me change that. Your parents will take you to it. <coughs> you don't pay, right? No. So your parents will take you to it. Go to great food, wonderful place, right? Anybody else been to White Dog yet? Okay, great restaurant. This woman decided that instead of growing the model, getting bigger, she would deepen the relationships. And you know what she found? She found a much more fulfilling life. A much more fulfilling life of understanding the totality of the people that she works with. When you serve somebody in some role and you know them as human beings, the world is a much better place. When you go on your service trips and you work with kids in places like Honduras and you come back and you say, you know what, those little brats, they weren't very nice. Almost invariably you come back and say, my getting to know them, putting a face on those children changed the way I feel. 
And that will be true of every relationship you have in business or elsewhere. I'm going to tell you now that if you recognize in the role you're in, in a business organization or any organization you go to work in, if you recognize that role for the relationships it sustains and develops, you will be a much happier person. I've been teaching, this is my 38th year teaching full time. I can tell you, I've worked with managers all over the world. And none has ever come up to me and said, you know, as I get towards the end of my career, I wish I could have more meetings, earn more money, or have more prestige. None has ever said that to me. Some of them have said, I wish I had attended less meetings, worried less about money, and spent more time with my family. But most of them say, I'm worried about what I'm leaving behind. What is my legacy? So you start and you look at that legacy now and you're going to be better off. Okay. So I want to, I want to um, wrap this up this way. Because I know we've only got a few minutes and I had a student once say to me, Dr. Hill, I really enjoy your class, but if you're not Bruce Springsteen, we're getting done on time. And so I will give you a lesson on learning how to be a, a great speaker. Always finish a minute early. One minute early. You don't want to cheat him, but you don't want to abuse him either. So I'm going to give you some things that you need to consider when you're going forward. You're freshmen mostly, right? Or all freshmen? You're all freshmen. Broad-eyed, bushy-tailed, you come out of high school, you're at Villanova, you're part of the V. Okay? You know, the vampires. Here. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you now know what you want to do five years from now? You know the career path you want to take? Okay. Most of you don't. And most of us don't in part because it's hard to know. For many of us, when we come to college, I knew what I was going to major in. and I thought I knew I was going to major in 10th grade. In 11th grade I knew, and I majored in it. And I have a doctorate in it now. <clears throat> But part of that, I had no idea what it really was. Someone said to me, well, marketing is the relationship side of business, and it's the, it's the engine that drives a train. And I go, and I want to be the engineer. I had no idea what the hell that meant, but I decided I'm going to be a marketing major. Most of you should take time now to do this, to open your eyes to all the possibilities. I don't care if you've told everyone, my son told everyone he wanted to be a doctor when he was in, starting in about third grade, I want to be a doctor. And I said, no, you want to be a physician. Doctors have PhDs, physicians. And, and when he got into high school, he said it. When he got into college, he said it. And I said, stop saying you want to be a doctor. Okay? Start allowing yourself the opportunity to open up your eyes. And you know what he is today? He's a doctor. But <laughs> he didn't listen to his dad. But what I'm saying to you is the world is a very, very big place. Now, I ask graduating seniors every year the same question. And I want you to reflect on this. I say, close your eyes and imagine yourself in your dream job. They close their eyes, imagine themselves in a dream job. I say, how many of you are working to get in that direction, to move in that direction. Let's say I have 50 students in a classroom. How many do you think say they're going in that direction? 
How do you go from here to there? You're freshmen right now. They're seniors. One out of 50 is going in a direction that's their dream. How did that happen? We're at a world-class university where they get a great education, and I got one? And so I started probing them. I said, well, what would be your dream? Somebody said, oh, I just love to work in the entertainment industry. You know, guitar is my life. I play it all the time. I'm not good enough to go pro, or it's hard to go pro, blah, blah, blah. But I really want to be in that, but, you know, I'm going to go and be an accountant. And they went, really? And I said, so what are you going to do when you get married? You're going to go, well, you know, I've been looking around, and I think Claudia Schiffer is the person that I want, you know, but this girl, I've been dating her for a while, so why don't I marry her? Are you going to give up all your dreams for this? Figure out what your dream is. And I'm not giving you this pie in the sky crap. I'm saying, figure out what your dream is. Figure out how you actualize it, and spend the next four years getting there. If you don't do that, you can't blame anybody but yourself. The second thing, what's the most important thing in your life? Tell me, most important thing in your life? Your family. How many people think your family is the most important thing in your life? How many of you are consciously, actively taking them into account as you develop your career? Okay. Good, because most of the students that I talk to will tell me, after their four years, I'll go anywhere. I'll move anywhere. I'll do whatever I have to to get into this profession, and I'll go, well, how does that jive with your family's the most important thing in your life? I'm not telling you to live in South Jersey till you die. I'm just telling you, if your family's the most important thing in your life, you better figure out how to live an integrated life. When I talk about what businesses do, how they commoditize people, how they put them into the corner, how they say you're a consumer and extract from them, you do the same thing with yourself. You want to live a fully integrated life where your personal life and professional life come together in important and unique ways? You've got to start now. And with that in mind, <laughs> only do it if you mean it. <laughs> <laughs>